This morning, I have a very heavy message to share with us, starting with myself, because the Apostle Paul is going to remind us of the motive for multiplication. All of us are here right now. All of us are in this room this moment. Because somewhere in our journey, there are those who took seriously the command of Jesus Christ to multiply, to, to go and to make disciples, to do what Jesus told us to do. And that job is for all of us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them everything Jesus said, I've commanded you, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. That's our task. That's our responsibility. And in this series so far, we have learned that multiplication is so much faster than addition. And Jesus calls us as his followers to multiply. And today's message is really going to talk to us about the motive of multiplication. And it is, again, it's just a heavy message. And I just want you to know on the outset that we're on this journey together. I do not come to you as one who has this message down, but I do come to you as one who desires for this truth to be true in my life and in our lives as a church family, as followers of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. What motivates you? What moves you well the apostle paul is going to help us understand that we all need to have the right motivation for the ministry of multiplication the apostle paul as you know was greatly used by god he made at least four different missionary journeys probably more planting churches introducing people to christ helping them grow and mature in their faith god inspired him to write 13 books of our new testament and eventually, he was martyred for his faith by Nero sometime around the year 64 or 65 AD. He endured all kinds of setbacks and sufferings for the sake of the ministry of multiplication. That's why, as we learned in these last couple of weekends, the Apostle Paul called Timothy, and he calls you and I to join him in the ministry of suffering for the sake of the gospel. So, so that's why what God's called us to do has to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we've got to remember that God doesn't expect us to do it in our own strength or in our own power because if we try, we're going to fall flat on our face, starting with myself, and that's true for all of us. So in Romans chapter 9, if you have a Bible, please turn there. Romans chapter 9, page 787 in the Bible in the seat tray in front of you. The Apostle Paul opens up his heart to us and he shares quite candidly with us his motive for the ministry of multiplication. Now, the Apostle Paul was a man with a message. His message is the gospel. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for selfish, self-centered sinners. He laid down his life on the cross. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. That is the gospel. Jesus Christ came, died for our sins, was buried on the third day. He arose. That's the gospel. That was his message. He had a master, the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul very clearly throughout his writings emphasized the fact, listen carefully, that he was the servant 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. The servants. In other words, he saw his role as one who was subservient to his Savior. It was, a, was not a glamorous, glitzy, cush role that the Apostle Paul played. And you and I, as followers of Christ, have never been called to that. We're called to a servant role as the Apostle Paul was as well, as followers of Jesus Christ. So we too have the same master, and he had a mission. His mission was the Great Commission. So you and I have the same message, the gospel, the same master, the Lord Jesus, and the same mission, which is to go and to make disciples. And the Apostle Paul is going to open up for us and remind us that the problem of the multiplication problem is the problem of the multiplication heart. Or the problem of the mission is the, pro the problem, the heart of the problem is the problem with the mission heart. In other words, you and I need to have the heart of multiplication. We've got to have a heart for mission. By the way, missions is not something our church does. That is who our church is. Big difference there. It's not a department in our church that is who we are. And as followers of Jesus Christ, all of us are to live on mission again taking his message to the ends of the earth so the book of romans just a little backdrop here is the magna carta of the doctrine of salvation what it means to know and follow jesus what jesus did for us on the cross and so the apostle paul inspired of god breaks it down for us clearly and compellingly as to this incredible gift we have in christ in romans chapter 8 the apostle paul talks about the amazing love that God has for us, that love we've been singing about. The love is one songwriter wrote many years ago, a love that will not let us go. Perhaps even inspired by the writings of Paul in Romans chapter 8, where Paul says that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is writing from a vantage point of victory this morning. And I want to remind us this morning, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are living from victory to victory because we know Jesus won the victory. We live in victory. One day we're going to live and rule and reign with him for all of eternity in victory. And when it comes down to chapter 9, the Apostle Paul literally rips open the cavity of his chest and bears his heart with us. And listen to what he says in chapter 9. And verse 1, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. Now the Apostle Paul is sharing with us his passion for his own people. Now it's very important to remember the Apostle Paul had a passion for the Jewish people because he, that's his lineage. That, that's the, 
the, the people group in which he, he was born and, and his lineage led all the way back to, to, to Abraham. So, so he had a passion for them. Why? Because the Jewish people had literally rejected Jesus. The most religious people of Jesus' day said no to the Messiah. So, so Paul had a passion to reach them. However, he also wrote that he was a, a passion for those who are non-Jewish people. He has a passion for those who are outside the Jewish family. However, here in Romans 9, at this point, he's sharing his heart for his people. Let me ask you a question. Who are your people? Your family. Think about your biological family. Think about your parents, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins. Think about your extended family members. And then let's go from there. Think about your friends, people that you, you know, hang out with. Maybe you enjoy playing different types of sports with them or experiencing hobbies with them. Who are some of those people? And then think about your neighbors. Think about your coworkers. Think about your classmates, your teammates. Who are your people? Who's in your tribe? Well, I would pray, and this is my prayer for my life, and I'm not there yet, that I would have the heart that Paul had for his people, for his tribe, and literally for the world. So let's look then at what Paul had to say. By the way, real quickly, may I remind you, just real quickly, that last Sunday we verified the national statistic that says 96%. 96%, I will say it again, 96% of the people become followers of Jesus Christ do so because a friend or family member prayed for them, loved on them, encouraged them, and brought them to a worship experience similar to the one we're having right now, and they crossed the line of faith. So that reminds me that you and I have a big responsibility, and the people who are most responsive to the gospel in your life are friends, family, and work associates. You might say, but it's hard to talk with, to them. Hang on. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. So let's jump into this text. Paul has a broken heart over the lostness of his own people. And look at what he first proclaims. Paul's proclamation says, verse 1, very quickly, he says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is really important. Paul does something that I don't think he does in any of the rest of his writings. He kind of sets up what he's about to say like this. Hey, listen up. I'm telling you the truth with what I'm about to tell you. Now, when you're talking to someone and they say, well, to be honest with you, don't you sometimes want to say back, well, I hope you've been honest all along, right? Well, the Apostle Paul is always honest, but I believe what he is trying to tell us is, listen, this is going to sound crazy. It's going to be very, very hard to believe, but I want you to know that I'm telling you the truth about what I'm about to tell you. And he calls three witnesses to verify that he's telling the truth. Real quickly, the first witness is, I speak the truth in Christ. Now, may I remind you, we noted earlier in our study that somewhere around 164 times in Paul's writings, he used the phrase, in Christ, or the equivalent thereof. Paul, oh, this is so awesome. Paul was so ambushed by the love of Jesus Christ in his life that everything was about Jesus for Jesus because it was from Jesus and he knew it was going to go back to Jesus. Can somebody say amen right there? That is a good place as we say back home to say amen. All right. It's all about Jesus and his life. And so Paul says, I call Jesus Christ who has changed my life as my witness. Let me ask you a question. Can you call Jesus as your witness? Has Jesus changed your life? Because if Christ is in your life, 
Change is going to happen. And when Christ changed your life, you're going to communicate about Christ. Did you hear what I said there? When you have been changed by Christ, you're going to communicate about Christ. You can't help but communicate what Jesus has done for you. That's what Paul is saying. I am in Christ. So I call Jesus as my witness. Secondly, I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it. Now, that's an interesting statement because sometimes when we talk about our conscience, we got to remember that, that our consciences can be wrong because our consciences can become hardened. They can become uh, bristled toward God. They can become, as one word says in Scripture, seared toward the things of God. Well, Paul had a sensitive conscience, and his conscience was submissive to scripture as martin luther wrote he said my conscience is captive to the word of god well such was true for the apostle paul paul says i submit myself to the authority of the word of god and that's why here sophist Cain, we always teach and preach from the word of god because it does not matter what i say what you say and what even a denomination says or a church says but it does matter what god has said god has spoken we've got to listen so he says Call my conscience, and it's confirming because his conscience has been cleansed by Christ. And he says, in the Holy Spirit. So there's his third witness. I call Jesus, I call my conscience, and the Holy Spirit. And again, the Holy Spirit of God is able to testify about what Paul is saying to be true because Paul's life was surrendered to Christ. His conscience was surrendered to the Holy Spirit. So we've got these three witnesses, and here's what Paul says. His proclamation, he moves to his passion. He's got this vibrant relationship with Jesus. And because of that, he says, I'm telling you the truth. Listen to me, Paul says. You're not going to believe this, but I have a great sorrow in my heart. Now that word sorrow means pain, our grief, brokenheartedness, mourning. It's the idea of a consuming grief. It's, 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 there's a, there's a, a torment taking place in his heart. And this sorrow and this grief and this torment was not something that was here for a few minutes and it went away a few minutes later or a few weeks later. But it was ongoing, continual, consistent, constant concern. Ongoing, consistent, constant concern so it wasn't just something that he had in an emotional moment but no this is something listen carefully that moved him and motivated him to the mission of multiplication it moved him it motivated him to the mission of multiplication and that's what you and I need in our lives that's what I need in my life I don't want to be like an emotional roller coaster, up one moment, down another, spiritually, up and down, up and down, up and down, in and out. No, Paul says that I'm telling you the truth, that my passion is to see my own people come to Christ. He had a passion for souls. He says, I've got a heart for them. It's the same thing that John Knox had when he prayed, oh God, give me Scotland or I die. It was the same thing David Brainerd had when he wrote, I was making my way through the snow to my place of study and God burdened my heart there for the Indians. I prayed for them until sweat poured from my body. Do you hear the pain and the passion that these men had 
And of course, here we are hundreds of years later quoting them for their passion for people and God greatly used them. And by the way, I want to remind you of something this morning. The same God that Paul served, the same God that John Knox served, the same God that David Brainerd, Brainerd served is the same God that you and I serve because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God that gave them a passion will give myself a passion, our passion. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Yet when I preach the gospel, Paul says, I cannot boast. Now listen to this. For I am compelled... I am compelled. Paul says, I've got to tell people about Jesus. I am compelled to tell people about Jesus. Something, no, no, no. Someone in me, the Holy Spirit of God, compels me to preach the gospel. He says, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul said, like Jeremiah, it's a fire that is in my bones. And God has set my soul afire, and I can't keep it to myself. Let me ask you a question. What would happen in our city, what would happen in our county, our state, our nation, our world, if just those of us in this room and those joining us live online, what would happen if the Lord Jesus Christ set that kind of fire, or rather should I say, we allowed the Lord Jesus Christ to set that kind of fire ablaze in our hearts, we, I believe, could be like the first century Christians who the scripture says turn their world upside down for Christ. I believe it's time that we as followers of Jesus Christ pray for this kind of passion that we turn our world right side up for the sake of the gospel. Paul said, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. Now, again, this is a heavy message for me and for us. What would happen in your life when we get from I've got to to I get to and I get to because I got to? I got to because I get to and I get to because I got to. Not like, I got to do this. If I don't tell somebody about Jesus, I'm going to feel guilty this week when I go to church because I know our pastor is going to be talking about the ministry of multiplication. So I better tell somebody, oh, no, no, no. That's going to last about one one millionth of a millisecond. And so I'm not here to guilt you and I'm not here to guilt me, but I am praying the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God would do something in my life this morning. In this worship experience and in our lives this morning, in this worship experience that would motivate us and move us and compel us to the ministry of multiplication just like the Apostle Paul had. I understand we're on a journey. And some of you maybe have never even become a follower of Jesus Christ. You're like, what's all this about? I want you to know this is all about the Lord Jesus loving you so much that he has called us to tell you about the Lord Jesus. And maybe someone in your life loves you enough to have invited you to this worship experience today. And maybe there's people in your life right now who are trying to talk to you about Jesus and you wish they would stop. No, please pray that they do not stop because you and I need to understand that we're here for you. This church does not exist for those who are here. We exist for those who are not here yet because you and I have been given the ministry of multiplication and the Apostle Paul understood that we've got a job to do. 
he was brokenhearted because he wept over the lostness of those without Christ. That's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 126, verse 5, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. God's plan for multiplication is going and sowing, weeping and reaping. Let me ask you a question. It's convicting for all of us. When was the last time you wept over the lostness of your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren or your next-door neighbor or your co-workers or classmates? When was the last time we wept over the lostness of our city? And when was the last time, instead of seeing how messed up things are in our nation, and they are, that we wept over the fact of the brokenness of the lostness of our nation. You see, Paul understood that there's got to be a love for the Lord in order for there to be a love for the lost. Paul remembered what it was like to be spiritually dead and darkened and doomed. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember what it was like to be without Christ? Do you remember how dark your life was, how doomed your life was, how darkened your life was? And aren't you grateful that someone came and shared with you the light of Christ and the love of Christ and the life of Christ? Well, that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying we've got to have a heart for those who are far from him. And is it not also true that there's a huge temptation for those of us in the room, myself included, that the farther we are from the moment we chose to follow Christ, the more difficult it can be to remember what it was like in life before Christ. And the more removed we are from the moment of our salvation, the more we can be removed from those who still need salvation. But Jesus did not call us to isolate ourselves from the culture. He called us to penetrate our culture with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, it's the whole business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. And it's your business and my business because it's God's business and this is business. You're like, whoa, I thought it was the church. It is business and our business is this. Tell people about Jesus. We have a bottom line. Change lives. And Paul understood that. He had a love for the lost. And by the way, do you still believe that people who die without Jesus Christ are eternally separated from them in a real place called hell? You see... As a friend of mine said, you don't have to believe in hell. Excuse me, if you don't believe in hell, you have no authority other than the authority on hell to believe in heaven. Oh, well, I don't believe in hell, but you believe in heaven? What authority do you have to believe in heaven? The Bible. Oh, great. Well, the same Bible that talks about this awesome place of heaven talks about hell, and Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And you might be saying, whoa, pastor, what, what year are you living in? Don't you know this is 2017? And people don't want to hear that. Listen, friend, God did not call me to preach what people want to hear. He called me to preach what people need to hear, and he's called me to preach the counsel of God, and that goes for your life and my life. And if we believe in hell, and we'll talk about this probably later in this series. If we really believe in hell, that changes everything. If there is no hell, then call it all off. But there is a place called hell. And sometimes people say things, you know, I just don't want to scare people off. 
Well, if I, if I start talking to them about Jesus, then it might scare them away. Well, friend, let me just remind you of something. As one of my professors in seminary used to say, gentlemen, there's not a hell number two for people to go to. They're already headed to hell. And I won't talk about it now because of time. I need to keep moving. But 27 years ago this summer, as your pastor of this church, I had some well-intentioned people, and they meant well, but they basically said this to me, a handful, just a handful of people, just a handful of people in our church. They said, listen, you're so aggressive in telling people about Jesus, and if you keep doing this, you're going to kill our church. My response to them is my response to you. I, 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 listen, whether it works or not is not my responsibility. Jesus told me to tell people about Jesus, so I'm going to tell people about Jesus, and I will obey God and leave the consequences to him. And by the way, I've got a good word of encouragement to us today. The more people you tell about Jesus, the more people ultimately going to believe in Jesus. It works. It's just you and I who need to work. It works. You and I just need to work. Paul had a love for the lost. He had a love for the Lord. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, it's the love of Christ that compels us. It's, again, the love of Christ that drives me, that moves me, that motivates me because we're convinced that one, that is Jesus died for all and therefore all died. So Paul says, Christ's love compels me. So, so there's, there's his passion, a love for the Lord and the love for the lost. So here's the thing. If I have a love for the Lord, I will have a love for the lost. If I don't have a, law, a love for the lost, it's obvious that I don't love the Lord. Now again, I'm not trying to be mean or unkind, but we live in a, a time in church world in the United States where there can be a lot of talk about loving worship. Man, I just love worship. And I get it, I understand. But let me tell you something. Worship is not just music. And pick the style you want. Hymns, Southern Gospel, High Church, uh, you know, modern worship, whatever it is, pick it. Worship is not music. That is an element of music, an element of worship. Worship is me offering myself as a living sacrifice, 365, 24-7. That's what we're called to do. And if we're living sacrifices, then our lives is to be an act of worship. And part of our worship ought to be to tell people about Jesus Christ. In fact, that is the primary thing Jesus called us to do. And if we love the Lord, what did he say the second commandment is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is likened to it. Say with me, love your neighbor. How? as yourself so do, am i loving my neighbor as myself if i'm not telling them about jesus am i are you i think the answer is clear because if jesus is the greatest one that we could ever know and he is and if he's the way the truth the life and he is and no one comes to the father but by me and that's true that is jesus he's saying that john 14 6 and i've got the responsibility to take jesus christ to them. So let's look at Paul's prayer. Paul now reveals to us his, his prayer, and it's a heavy prayer. Paul says, I could wish that I myself, verse number three, I'm sorry, I could wish that I myself were accursed or was cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. Now, I want you to listen carefully and lean in closely. Because what the Apostle Paul says here 
is no doubt, as one scholar has noted, emotional, not theological. In other words, Paul knows that what he is saying he wished he could do, he cannot do. However, he loves his people. He loves lost people so much that he makes this statement. So it's very important that we understand this. He could not do what he wanted to do, but he had a heart to do this because Paul is making, I believe, one of the boldest statements by anyone outside of Jesus in all the Word of God. And I want this to be true in my life. It's not. And I'm embarrassed to tell you that. But I want it to be true. And I don't just want it to be true in my life, but I want it to be true in our lives as a church. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we're to emulate Christ, and Christ emulates what Paul says, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. But this is what Paul says, and put your spiritual seatbelt on. He's speaking, again, emotionally, not theological. It's like, he, it's like he transitions and he says, okay, I could wish that myself, I myself were cursed. That word curse, circle that in your Bible, is the word anathema. It's a strong word in the original language of the New Testament. The word anathema means accursed. It means doomed. It means cut off eternally from Christ. Paul says, I am willing to be cut off eternally from Christ. I am willing to be accursed for Christ. I am willing to go to hell for them. And yes, biblically, Paul is saying, damn me, save them. Paul is saying, I'll be damned if they can be saved. That's what the word anathema means. Study it. If it takes me being damned for all of eternity in hell so my own people can be saved, then Lord Jesus, please allow that to happen. Now, I want to reiterate, he could not do that. But he has such a heart for his people that he's saying, if it's possible, Lord, would you please do that? By the way, in Moses, in Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 32, remember this story after Moses went up on the mountain and God gave him the Ten Commandments? He was up there. The people kind of got stirred up. Oh, nothing's going on. Where's Mo? What's happening? Let's raise up our own leader because they were not willing to wait on God. Listen carefully. They were not willing to wait on God. They asked him in their own time. That's another message. They self-appointed, not God, self-appointed another leader. Hey, Aaron, why don't you be in charge? Moses is gone. We don't know what's up with him. You be in charge. I'll tell you what let's do, Moses. Because instead of him leading the people, the people led him. And he said, hey, why don't you get all, let's get all the silver and gold. Let's melt them all down. Let's build a golden calf. And we will worship that calf because apparently he's the one who brought us out of Egypt. Moses has forsaken us. The Bible says Moses, after he received the Ten Commandments, is coming down the mountain. He hears the music, he hears the dance, and he hears the singing. And he's so angry, he casts, throws down the Ten Commandments. You know the story. And he's so angry. And of course, God's anger is stirred against the people of Israel because of their short memory. And God says, you know what? I'm just going to wipe them all out. I'm going to start afresh and start anew. 
And Moses prayed in Exodus chapter 32, God, would you please save them? And basically prayed the same prayer and wiped my name out of your book. That's passion. That's a burden. And of course, God in his mercy heard Moses' prayer. So let me ask us a question. Do we have that kind of burden for people without Jesus Christ? I want that burden. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. Maybe you know this, but originally that was set out to be, and it is a great ministry today, but the focus originally was, and in many areas continues to be, reaching people for Jesus Christ and using uh, social media, using social, excuse me, ministry, using social ministry, meeting people's physical needs so you could meet the spiritual need behind it. That's what the original founder, William Booth, had for the Salvation Army. And God used him uh, through his leadership to reach untold thousands to faith in Jesus Christ. And once he was questioned, do you think you have the best witnessing school in the world? Do you think you've got the best one? Mr. Booth replied, no, I don't think my methods are best. I think the best method of giving people a burden for lost souls would be to take them to devil's hell and allow them to experience what it is like to be lost in hell, separated from God for an eternity in the fire that can never be quenched. Then I believe men would truly have a burden. And is that not true? I wonder what would happen in my life if I could herd the whales of hell for just a matter of minutes. And by the way, and again, we'll get to this probably later, Luke's gospel records to us a man who is in hell, Jesus having a conversation with him, and he says, listen, Father Abraham, would you just send somebody to tell my five brothers about this place, lest they come here as well? Church, I know this is a heavy message, and I, I get it. But what would happen in my life what would happen in our lives if we had this kind of passion and burden for lost people to where our hearts beat was for those who needed Jesus Christ? Because your friends and your family and your neighbors and your co-workers who don't know Jesus Christ are headed to a devil's hell. And it is not a place of pleasure, but of pain. Now listen carefully. The good news is, is that while Paul was praying, Lord, I would be damned for my own people's sake. Send me to hell so they can go to heaven. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was damned for your sins and my sins. He literally took on our sin debt. He didn't owe it. He didn't have to pay it. 
But I'm thankful he said, I'm going to pay the sins of that boy, John Cross, who will be born February 17, 1963, in Covington, Georgia. So listen, Father, I'm going to go ahead and pay for his sin debt. But he didn't just say, I'm going to pay for the sin debt of John Cross, who will be born in Newton County, Georgia. He said, I'll pay the sin debt for every man, woman, boy, or girl, whoever has been born, whoever will be born throughout all of time and eternity, and pay God, Jesus Christ paid it all on the cross. He was damned for your sin and my sin because he loved us so much. So Jesus gave up what he gave up so you and I could go up one day and spend eternity with him in heaven. Please don't say you're not willing to give up your fears to talk to your lost friends and family members. Please don't say you're not willing to give up your preferences. Please don't say you're not willing to give up your time. Please don't say you're not willing to give up your, 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 your skill sets, your life experiences. So here's the application for the message. In my own life, God, I want this kind of a heart. It is said of David Livingston, who served as a missionary in Africa, that when he died, something extraordinary happened. He was from Britain. It's a long story, but he was denied being sent by the Missionary Society originally. He wanted to go to China. Instead, he was sent to Africa. He went through one setback after another to reach the people in what we would call now parts of South Africa, Zambia, and other regions perhaps. But the bottom line is, is he went through one problem after another. But he kept telling people about Jesus. He kept telling people about Jesus. He died in the village of Itlala in 1873. When work got to Britain, he had died they asked that his body be sent back, and eventually he was buried in Westminster Abbey. But before those villagers sent his body back, they physically, literally cut out his heart. And they wrote a note and said, you can have his body, but his heart belongs in Africa. And they buried his heart in their village. And there's a monument there today in his honor. I said this last night, wasn't in my notes, and I shudder to say it again. I don't know how much longer I've got left on this planet, and neither do you. I pray this another 50 years if God so chooses. But what could be said about our lives if after it's all done, Whatever you accomplished and I accomplished, that it pales in significance that if when they walk past that casket or when they have a service to talk about you, they could say, his heart was loving the Lord. And because he loved the Lord, 
He loved the lost. I'm not there, but God is my witness. I want to be. Could you pray with me? And if that's your prayer this morning, I'm not looking. I'm going to ask for no one else to look. But if you want to join me in that, making that prayer this morning, would you stand? This is not, don't do it unless the Holy Spirit of God is working your heart. Again, I'm not looking. I'm going to ask no one else to look. It's between you and the Lord. But standing, if you so choose to, is literally saying in faith, oh God, give me a burden like the apostle Paul had. Give me a burden to multiply. And I'm going to ask you to pray for that daily. And I'm going to ask you to go home and write down, maybe even now, after you, after sometime during the remainder of this service, you write down the names of people you're going to be praying for. Family. I don't, I'm not all I need to be, but I pray for my grandchildren, two who are already here, one on the way. That they'll be saved. That God will use them. Should he tarry his coming. My own children. Their families. The ones who aren't married. That God will give them the right spouse. And bless their families. Parents if we don't do that. For our children and grandchildren. Who will? We ought to be praying for our neighbors. Who don't know Christ. We ought to be praying for family, work associates, classmates, and the two billion who don't even know that Jesus exists. They have no clue what we're doing right now, but they need to know. God would call out from us. We are ascending church. Bring them in, send them out. Bring them in, send them out. That's what Jesus called the church to do. And so could we pray, oh Lord, help us to reach those who will reach the unreached. Help us to reach those who will reach the unreached. And help us to set aside our own agendas that we might multiply. I believe God's doing something fresh. I don't know all that means. I literally don't. But please, let's pray, Lord, let's be open to whatever it is to multiply. Father, you know who's standing. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would stir our hearts. Father, I pray that you would burden my heart like the Apostle Paul's, our heart like the Apostle Paul's, that this week, this day even, as opportunity arises, we will share Christ, invite someone to next weekend, not waiting till Easter, as awesome as it is, but Lord, we see the power of invites on Easter and Christmas. Lord, I pray that we'll be so passionate that we don't come to church alone next week, or certainly we don't try, we try not to. And Father, I pray that you would help us to leverage every resource entrusted to us individually and corporately for the advancement of the sake of the gospel. For your glory and your renown. And while heads about and eyes are closed, maybe you're here and you've never chosen to follow Jesus. That Jesus that we've been preaching and talking about loves you. And God wanted a family. And the only way to have the family was to send his one and only son to die on the cross for your sins. And we've talked about his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection for your sin, my sin. And would you pray right now and call on his name and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I want you to change me. 
Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for being buried for me. Thank you for raising on the third day for me. And today, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And from this day forward, Jesus, I want you to change me. And I want you to use me to tell others about you. Would you pray that prayer? And if you have, text us or fill out that card or email us or stop by guest services. And if you're standing, would you go ahead and quietly be seated while I close this out in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord Jesus, I beg you to the power of the Holy Spirit that what you're doing in my life right now and in our lives will resound for fruit, good fruit that shall remain for your glory in all of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.